2: ताको उसका शक्कर उम्बी के लिए नहीं हुआ, मक्खा के लिए, हक़न्ध खंग का ताको ऐच्छक के
3: greetings and good day and welcome my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart, and the whole world today is beautiful it 's good for all of us to be here and let the people hear your voice respectfully celebrate life in this is first voices radio international I send you greetings and st- strength on the east gate of Turtle Island where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. I'm your host Tiokas and Ghost Horse. This is an all Native hosted, all Native produced First Voices Radio now in its twenty eighth year of broadcasting. And Liz Hill is First Voices Radio's outstanding producer. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple iP- Apple Podcast, Buzzsprout, Buzzsprouts, uh, uh, Spotify, and as well as FirstVoicesIndigenousRadio.org. dot And beginning in November twenty twenty. Next month you can hear us internationally on Savizar Contemporary in Berlin and Potsdam, Germany. I'd like to go to our first guest Mark Tilson who is an Oglala Lakota poet and educator from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation out in South Dakota and at Standing Rock Mark stepped into the role of a direct action trainer and police liaison and since then Mark has led trainings and teachings about the lessons from Lessons Learned from Standing Rock, and he recently spent six months at Loe Lavi Camp helping to fight against the Bayou Bridge Pipeline, which is the tail end of the Dakota Access Pipeline, ending in Louisiana. And recently, Mark has been working with the Luzahan Creek Patrol to provide basic security to the unhoused relatives along Rapid Creek and Rapid City, South Dakota. I'd like to welcome you this morning to to Mark Tilson. Good morning, Mark. How are you?
0: Pardon me.
3: Great. Thank you for being here. Um, there's, there's thing, cold temperatures. Everything out in South Dakota in, near the Black Hills, in the Black Hills, which are sacred land to a lot of people, including the Lakota. And uh, as I announced earlier, there is something happening with uh, the homeless. Uh, The relatives are housed in there. Could you give us a background because this has been, you know, needing attention by the outside world. I say that outside of the reservation, outside of South Dakota. And uh, people would like to hear about what's going on in South Dakota with the native people, the Lakota
0: Yeah, um, background is uh, due to the incredibly harsh freezing temperatures, we've had uh, some of our relatives during the winter months who've been freezing to death. And um, the city has so far not created adequate situations where people are welcomed and have places to be warm uh, throughout the night. And over the summer, Mini Luzahun Creek Patrol was created to address the violence, uh, suicides, uh, deaths, and murders that were happening happening to our unhoused relatives along Rapid Creek. And uh, just to give you a brief background, we're not the first patrol to be doing this. There's many iterations going back generations that have done the work that we're doing. And we humbly understand that we're just the current group of people who are stepping up to do this. Oh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, and uh, this kind of started from the West River Tenants Union. This kind of started from the West River Tenants Union. Um, one of our folks, uh, Marina Allison, created the first meeting uh, to address the situation. A follow-up meeting was held by Danny Maryville. West River Union uh, created the third. And from there, uh, Muffy Musso and her partner, Philippa Dilya, uh um, created the Mini Luzahal Creek Patrol, and we're out patrolling uh, with a very small crew of, of volunteers for weeks and weeks on end, um, literally just trying to keep the peace and stop the police harassment of our unhoused relatives. Uh, the police in Rapid City, like many, many places and municipalities, do a prof- uh, policy what they call pushing, which is starting on one end of town and basically continuously moving the homeless people all night long, uh, knowing that they have no place to go. And we consider this to be a very inhumane act. And uh, over the summer months that actually kind of died down mostly by having the Creek patrol, having a, a physical presence out on the, out on the Creek.
3: Mark Tilson, you you mentioned that there were previous groups who were also helping along uh, the the ways that you are today. And um, when I think about over the years how much... Has happened within Rapid City from that early flood from 1972 when everything was flooded mm-hmm. out. And, uh, you know, just, just this, I would say, I'm going to go there, Mark, with the sacredness. This is at the same creek where Crazy Horse was born along the banks mm-hmm. there. And yet um, there is not that um, that uh, credit given or that, that uh, feasibility to allow Native people who basically economically are not really uh you know, privileged to have houses in a sense, so, as you mentioned, maybe a few people froze these last few weeks as it got colder and I'm wondering how did the city respond to any of, of what you were doing there as many lose a huh
0: well uh well, first first and foremost i uh I want to say that Nakota people have been living along rapid creek as long as there's been Lakota people or a rapid creek um the police the police interaction is kind of it, 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 like we interact with the city on multiple levels we interact with with the mayor uh the council um the first responders who are, are like out in the streets with us and their attitudes are invariably different um the first responders that we're talking to, they're on the same page. They're like, we don't want anyone to freeze to death either. And their whole added like their whole attitude is, what can like when you're yeah when you're on average when you're meeting a patrol uh, patrolman on the street, their attitude is, what do I need to do? How do I get these people safe? Where can they go? And they they have some things set up. They have a detox and they call a safe bed. There's also the Christian mission uh the mission is filled with capacity on on any given night you can go over there and there's people sleeping in the hallways and you uh for a lot of the folks they have to pay seven dollars a night um a lot of our folks don't have seven dollars a night and uh you got to be sober you can't be intoxicated while you're there and that's a deal breaker for a lot of our relatives out on the street and then when it comes to like safe bed or detox it's essentially ending, it's a softer version of the car sale system. It's more friendly than jail. And in, so when it comes to the safe bed, you can check yourself out. When it comes to detox, uh, you have to do a drug evaluation. And um, it's very much feeling like entering another version of the police state. Uh, there's times where they've attempted to co-opt the work that we do. Uh, we've had Uh, Different sergeants who are in charge of patrol tell us that, like, you know, you guys are eyes and ears out on the street. And it's like, we're having a conversation with y'all out of professional courtesy. But that's actually one of the things that we're finding is the police uh, state has insinuated itself in most facets of the public life of Rapid City. Um, there's police that sit on the school boards. There are police that work within the schools. There are police that work on the board, uh, sit on the boards of most nonprofits. There are police that directly interface with the churches and like, if you're applying for a community based grant, uh, most of the community based grants in rapid city, uh, have the police department written into them. um, Ideally, we don't want to have to interact with the police. We want to envision a world that isn't police base. Um, we bumped heads with them continuously. Uh, they've like <laughs> we like um, whatever what we were trying to do. There's always been some kind of weird pushback. Like, like the, the city continuously talks out of, outside of its mouth, uh, both sides saying there's an epidemic of homelessness and these people need to go home back to the reservations wherever they wherever they came from. Imagining that there's an existing uh, support system there. Well, you know, I've been working on Pine, like you know, I'm born on Pine Ridge, been working on Pine Ridge. We're we're short five thousand housing units back home. Like there's. There is a housing. There's a housing problem in Rapid City. There's a housing problem on Pine Ridge, and so just shuffling people around is not an answer. Um, yeah. Well, more, more most recently. Uh, go ahead.
3: No, I, I was just wondering because you're the Mini Luzaha, which is, which really means Rapid Creek. Um, mm. um. The, this grass this movement is not just indigenous. Is it non-native people too, or is it supporting non-native people who are also out in the streets?
0: Oh yeah, we don't turn away like we yeah we don't we don't turn uh, turn away or discriminate based off of a race. That would feel counterproductive. And our whole thing is like no one's disposable. Like there's an attitude for folks who are homeless, and uh, it's. It's almost like, it's okay that you're homeless, but you you need to be one of the good homeless. You gotta be one of those people who are sobering up and trying to straighten up and fly right. Then your life has value. And our whole thing was like, nope. Everyone, no no one should die out here. The street is a very dangerous place to live, and it can be very deadly. And our attitude is there's no one disposable. So, of course, we don't discriminate by race on who we get help to or include in our circle and, to be honest, the community that we're building.
3: You mentioned earlier that uh, the city responded to remove a teepee camp. And in last night's discussion with you, um, last night's discussion, you said that the teepee camp and you mentioned the pushing uh, quote unquote, pushing the removal of TP Camp and that you cannot live within the city limits of, of Rapid City. Is that true?
0: Um, on city land, the place that we each like, we, like our attitude is that, uh, you know, our Lakota people have an inherent right to live along Rapid Creek. Also, the city has a responsibility to take care of its citizens who are homeless. And this is just the fundamental disagreement that we have between uh, the current administration and um, the general public. Uh, The mayor has explicitly stated that he doesn't feel that the city does have that responsibility. But um, we're also recognizing that they spend over seven and a half million dollars a year in accrued cost for uh, more or less policing and quote unquote servicing our unhoused relatives. Where for seven and a half million dollars a year you can actually just get people homes it's it''s it's, it's entirely plausible <laughs> to just solve the problem you know what I mean but yes uh the, we did establish camp Minions Hill was first established near uh, the fairgrounds along rapid Creek and we put up four teepees and the police uh, came with a small, we could call it a small army. Um, They had 20 SWAT SWAT officers who were decked out in riot gear uh, on standby uh, to shut down the camp. They had I would say at least half of the active uh, duty officers from the Rapid City Police Department, the Pennington County Sheriff, and the South Dakota Highway Patrol. And uh, they decided that this camp cannot exist. And uh, we were actually hoping they would simply just leave us alone. And if they had a permitting problem, we could just take care of it on a Monday. Um, We created this in ceremony. We created this in prayer. We fed our relatives. And when the police showed up, most of our unhoused relatives took off because they don't want to be harassed by the police. we did have two relatives who literally did not have anywhere to go. And so the, the the patrol decided to stay with our relatives in the teepee um, and hold space there. And subsequently we were arrested, uh, charged with some obstruction of the police function and resisting arrest And one of our relatives was charged with illegal camping, which I thought was funny.
3: Well, so Mark Tilson also, you know, when you have created this winter camp outside Rapid City, there is... You know, pouring, there's humanity pouring in, trying to help a little bit. What, what would you say as we end this part of our interview here? Um, what would you say to look forward to since you've done all the things that you're supposed to do, negotiate with the, the city? Is the state stepped in yet um, to help or will they step in?
0: Uh, No, and we're not really counting on them or expecting them to. Right now, the best thing that we're asking for is to leave us alone, and they actually have to. We're on uh, Indian tribal trust land that's held by uh, the Rosebud Sioux Tribe, the Oglala Sioux Tribe, and the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. So we're in this little place where we can have some autonomy to take care of our relatives. And what what the help we need is we need people who want to hold down uh, hauling water hauling, recycling and garbage in and out, bringing in food, helping us set up our cook shack and create and getting us some wood stoves and more wood. Um, yeah, we're actually not relying on the state. We're relying on our community and we're doing, we're getting better and better about bringing people in. Um, we had to, we very early on, we made the choice to keep our location very discreet. Uh, the last time that our relatives were sleeping, and a publicly accessible place, folks with pickup trucks tried to run them over. And so we've been uh, a little bit selective and not uh, publicly broadcasting where we where our physical location is.
3: And uh, I, I do know that you may, well, I don't know, that Camp Mini Luzaha is a temporary winter camp. And looking forward into the future, maybe this camp won't exist because maybe the, maybe. Their problem of not coming up with that uh, helpfulness for native people and anybody who is homeless will actually you know be done it will be but where there is no homeless people and all the natives and all the non natives have a house to live in and food shelter warmth all that a community and uh
0: yeah 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 no this is we 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 don't want to have to be doing this because this, right. this is not an ideal situation. Uh, this is not an ideal situation in any way shape or form um, it's a little bit too far out of town for people to uh, travel by foot um, it's not in the geographic location that where our relatives live and they need to get services and um, you know living in a teepee living in a modern teepee during winter is <laughs> It's tough. It's difficult. It's, it's not the most comfortable. And ideally we want to move into something like a, like a wet shelter or community based tiny homes that where people who, who, who can have their own place. And one of the things that's really interesting is uh, this, this camp gives an opportunity for people who want to, to sober up. And, the violence that's going on in this community has dramatically dropped. And it, it it's fascinating. Like, it's, it's, it sounds like common sense, but it's really fascinating to see. Like, when you give people just the bare minimum of safety and autonomy, the violence decreases immediately.
3: Wow. Well, that, that sounds like that's basically it. Lay off and we'll be all right as humanity... Mark i want to thank you for just this small interview. Um, where do we get a hold of you? what do people want if they want to help somehow to get a hold of you or any anywhere any contacts
0: um, Our website is dot and that's camp m i m n i l u z a h a n dot org and you can find us on social media, mostly Facebook, you know, Indian Country Lives on Facebook. So yeah. that's where we're
3: at. Okay, that's good. Thanks again, Mark, for being here and uh, keep up the good work. I'm, I'm following you, and I would want other people to follow you and maybe look at you know, where you know, the, the backbone of this country is, the spiritual people of the Lakota, and that mm. we are taking care of what we're supposed to. Thank you for being here again, Mark. It's an honor to have you here, really. Um, thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. This is First Voices Radio. My name is teokson Ghost Horse, and you're listening to Mark Tilson, who is part of the Camp Mini Luzahan.org out there. It's Camp M-N-I-L-U-Z-A-H-A-N.org. And uh, they already had two people froze because they had no shelter in the heart of the Black Hills. And I would like to... Return to you after these numbers I will next guest will come up. His name was Carrie Moore in. That is Kerry Moore in with Jamie. And it's a good, good song to listen to in this, this cold, damp weather here, high in the Catskills. And my name is Teo Kusin Ghost Horse, and this is First Voices Radio. And our next guest I'd like to welcome, who is an award-winning singer-songwriter and guitarist, Kerry Moore in to First Voices Radio. He's born in Billings, Montana. Carrie's a Crow tribal member and uh, son of an Air Force officer and we are playing his part songs of his new album, Dockside Saints, was released in August of this year, 2020, and he won, has won numerous awards for his work for his 2017 album, Cradle to the Grave, described as one of the best acoustic pickers on a scene today, Kerry brings together the great musical traditions of America and beyond like no other, and with a fingerstyle guitar and vocals that alternately convey mel- melodic elation and gritty world weariness and carry great crafts and an imitable style often characterized as acoustic Native Americana with qualities of blues and bluegrass and jazz and jam and reggae and dance and you you'll hear more of carries music as we do the interview today and he spent the bulk of his youth in great falls montana beautiful country where he cut his teeth picking guitar standards at neighborhood get-togethers before relocating to northern colorado from there his musical career hit the ground running with atoll a band he founded in 1989 and it toured nationally gained a devoted following he Achieved national acclaim with the, the Pure Fay trio, for, for whom the single Old Midlife Crisis, which Kerry wrote and performed with Pure Fay, placed at number 17 on France's iTunes blue charts. Um, also, with the Atoll and Pure Fay trio as a solo artist, Carey has played and celebrated venues across the globe, the Paris Jazz Festival the Winter Park Jazz Festival, the Folk Alliance International, the River People Festival, Shakori Hill Festival, the 2010 Vancouver Olympics, and most recently, Rochefort. I hope I'm saying this right. Rochefort, Rochefort Accords Festival in, in France and the Copenhagen Blues Festival. And uh, you can find Carrie Morin, Morin at com. I'd like to welcome you to First Voices Radio, Carrie, and it's an honor to have you on First Voices Radio. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Oh, thank I'm you. Doing great. We're just here in uh, Colorado. Uh, I don't know if you guys are starting to get winter, but we're, we got it.
3: You got it. <laughs> you know, I was I was going through all the festivals you're at, and I had my hand up had my hand up saying this one and that one you can see in the studio how exciting to actually to hear your music for the first time a few days ago and i'm like why didn't i hear this before and our, our producer liz who is a blues fan knew of you all this time and i'm kind of like well so now i know who who plays with blues and who doesn't and, and so i got you on the line and i want to um you start with your new song, Jamie Ray, and I think you talked about it has to, because you said you like to go down into the southern country and talk about those origin stories. Can you take us from there?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy um, traveling around in the south and um, I've been doing shows down there for ooh, about six or seven years and um, started to learn a lot about the, uh, the mound communities that were down there. When I was growing up in Montana, I didn't really learn about that. Um, I just found it fascinating and it's it's starting to seep into my songs. Um, And um, the, the, the next project is really going to focus more on that. I kind of delved into that with uh, Dockside Saints a little bit, but <clears throat> moving more in that direction.
3: You, talk, you talked about the Mississippi Valley. Is that, that, is that where you're talking about? You go to the Anvil privilege, and that, that covers a lot, of, a lot of ground there. And um, well, from what little I can read, your, your nation, the Crow Nation, comes from that area. Is that true?
2: It is uh, the the crows migrated out uh, to the plains before they were uh, crows. Um, a lot of the Plains Indians migrated from the um, from the, the Great Lakes or the East Coast um, in the uh, you know give or take around the fifteen fourteen fifteen hundreds. The the um, the crows migration was more about sixteen hundreds, but. Um, it just always has fascinated me um, to learn about as much as life uh, pre-European contact, because um, uh, I just I'm just really interested in it.
3: And When you talk about being interested in it, I think you know it, it's better than saying that we came across the Bering Strait that we were already here and just kind of migrated from the east coast out to other parts of. Of Turtle Island as some tribes refer to it and when you talk about Jamie, the, the music that I just played, the, the words in it, I, I really could not uh, I didn't get the, the lyrics to it because um, I, could, I couldn't I could I didn't get to read them because I'm so excited, I wanted to listen to all of your music because I was going through every everything from the album Nobody Gotta Know to your latest one and I just got through with the last one here, um, of course we'll play that at the end, the Valley of the Chiefs. When I talk about Jamie, I'm thinking about uh, this progression of, of music, and, and of course I'm new to, to the blues. I've heard blues before, um, and I'm wondering, are there any more natives, and you probably know better than I do, and it sounds very, uh, very simple then as asked this question, how many natives are actually into the blues genre?
2: Well, I, th- I think that blues music has always been um, uh, of interest to Native people. Um, I I was uh, in the eighties, nineties, uh, playing more in rock bands, and uh, I, I played in a like a world um, world music band for about twenty years. We played. Uh, dance music and reggae music and um, all, all kinds of different dance-focused uh, music. And uh, <clears throat> in all that time uh, traveling around with that that band, I bumped into a lot of native blues bands from uh, here and there. Some from around here, indigenous probably being the one of the more uh, well-known acts. And they were from... Uh, South Dakota at the time um but you know I it's taken me a while to get around to it I didn't really actually start uh recording any blues stuff um until I started doing solo shows and my acoustic recordings the first being um about uh 11-12 years ago uh was really the first blues album, but I didn't record the band for an awful long time because I got really interested in playing acoustic guitar. You
3: know, I'm—I I'm, mean, I did hear other native people, such as indigenous. I, it, and I, tell me if I'm—I'm I'm correct in this way that it, it is almost a natural style of native people to to have that little. Um, pitch and sort of twang, but also in our music, uh, traditional music. And it seems like it it was born of this land, which is kind of true in historical American history, but it seemed like it it also combined with other styles, as you described here, that that type of music is native music, is your music, indigenous music, more indigenous is the band music. Is it more, how do I say this? Is there more? Hmm, could I say there is more feeling to it, or, or am I just just kind of off here?
2: No, I don't think you're off. I, I think that um, the uh, the the musical intent that um, that artists have when um, either performing live or uh, or creating recordings or uh, collections of music uh, for consumers um, is... uh, I I think it's more obvious in in live performances um, when you can actually, you know, uh, have a better chance to to feel what an artist is trying to convey uh, to an audience. Um... And, uh, you know, just speaking of indigenous, um, they were a great band and they, they did make great recordings. But um, I think that you could feel uh, the, the intent of the music when you watch them and understand how uh, the blues is uh, a genre of music that really can belong uh, to, to any group. And, um, it is really specifically American, but not exclusively. Uh, it is, um, African American, um, originally, but, um, I, I think that, uh, uh, some artists have been successful in, uh, in capturing, uh, a feel that is appropriate for, um, their cultural background
3: I see I I'm, I'm in uh, touch with an old older uh, elder who David Amram who is a composer and his history that he told me was that in jazz especially that native people played an instrumental role in creating jazz yet we are not created, we're not credited for our role because you know he he basically said that When in the history that I was given is that Mark Twain, Robert Clemens himself heard this this flute and he heard just different music for the first time when he was uh, on the eastern edge of I think it was the Missouri or the Mississippi River actually. And uh, across the way he heard a native flute and he never heard anything like in his life that like his life before. And he had someone go over and, and bring that over and explain the principle of that flute. And that uh, he said he's never heard anything like it before, and when I heard when I thought about David Amram telling me the history, the ethnography of that, of this music, uh, I, I really began to understand. Wow, there there is this type, these types, and have been this has been this rhythm, and I think that's what I'm trying to say. Is I feel that that sort of. Style you have in your guitar, from what little I can listen to, is is really catching for me. It's it's almost traditionally deep. If you if you know where I'm going with that,
2: yeah, I think that you know, native people um, have uh, not been credited for uh, a lot of things that originate from Indian country, and um, there's there's been like. Um, Documentaries and um, a lot of discussion about that over the years. Um, you know, what I've done with uh, my songwriting and uh, the recordings that I've made over the years is really just to try and concentrate on um, where I'm going with it now. And um, I, I like to try and make a, a contribution to uh, native music on this continent and perform it around the world. But, um, I'm, I'm really more concerned with, uh, with just the, uh, the state of, um, native art in general. And, um, I, I like for, uh, the world to be exposed to the beautiful things that native people have created in the past and more recently, um, yeah, as often as possible. Uh, there, there are some painters and sculptors and uh, musicians and um, and rappers. They're doing just really innovative and wonderful things. Uh, you know whether it it lends to uh, Traditional native music or not, um, I, I heard it once said uh, years ago that today we are the um, traditional Indians of tomorrow, and that's how I try to approach things.
3: Oh, I like that. We're talking with Carrie Moore In, who is an award-winning singer-songwriter and guitarist, and a member of the Crow tribal tribal people up in Montana. And we're talking about his new album released a couple months ago in August in Dockside Saints. And the next one that I'm going to be playing as we go out here, Carrie, is Valley of the Chiefs. Can you tell us a little bit about Valley of the Chiefs?
2: Sure, sure. I could do that. Uh, That um, is a song that I wrote a couple years back. And um, it is... uh, uh, it has origins in uh, my naming ceremony, um, which is, uh, for, for those that may not know, um, the, uh, the Crow uh, tribe has a ceremony uh, for children, and the, the family asks a family elder to recount a story from their lifetime, and from that story uh, they name uh, the child and uh, mine took place in nineteen sixty four ish I was about three or four years old and um my uh, well actually no that's not right it would be like nineteen sixty six I got to get my math right here and um it this, the elder that my folks asked to um, to help out with the naming ceremony was my great-grandmother. And at the time, she was about 105, 106 years old. Incredible. So she'd seen an awful lot in her lifetime uh, by that point. And um, she recounted a story from her uh, childhood um specifically when she was a teenager in, uh, Montana and, um, her and some friends were out gathering berries, uh, one afternoon and, uh, they were come across by, uh, a neighboring war party from a, a, a different tribe and subsequently kidnapped. And, um, after uh, a couple of days of captivity, uh, these young girls, these teenage crow girls, found the strength in themselves to, uh, to escape from their captors and made it back home safely. And so this song is about that event and my uh, family history.
3: Wow, that's an incredible story. And up to where you say that the children are named because of their traits or their behavior or story, that's kind of commonplace. Because that's how I was named, Carrie, by the behavior that uh, I had in that. And I thank you for that that tradition. And I can imagine your one hundred year old plus grandma living somewhere in the eighteen hundreds. That that is. <laughs> that's a long time ago I mean
2: it, it, yeah she um, she recounted some stories uh, when when I was a child and she only spoke crow she she refused to speak English and um, so I, I would hear about the stories through um, other sources my my mother for the most part and um, you know sometimes other uh, family members but she talked about um, what happened during the Custer battle. She was there.
3: Well, that's incredible. Lots of history behind the music that you play and the guitar. Um, so I'd like to go out with Valley of the Chiefs. And just by chance, Gary, if this, this doesn't last the entire program that we have left, can can you pick out another song that I could follow up to Valley of the Chiefs with?
2: Yeah, sure. Um the, uh, the song uh, Prisoner, which is track three, was a tune that I wrote oh some years back uh, in honor of our um, native brothers and sisters uh, who have been incarcerated.
3: That's saying a lot right there. Thank you for this time you've had. Took your time out there in Colorado in the cold. And over here we're expecting snow and a couple of maybe after aftermath. Fall out from the two hurricanes that are coming up this way, but thank you, <laughs> thank you, Gary, for being <laughs> here. Um, stay good, stay safe out there, and um, yeah, stay strong. Thank you. Uh, you you have a new fan here, and I'm going to be listening to this, and we look forward to maybe interviewing you again when you have a new album out. All right.
2: I'd like that very
3: much. That's cool. You can reach com and even watch him on the videos here. It's like C-A-R-Y. M-O-R-I-N dot com and just uh, Google him or whatever you do with that or, you know, do the do the search there. He's there. And you'll get to hear Kerry Morin more uh, and the guitar and his singing. And uh, thank you for your, your time here, Carrie. And uh, this is Valley of the Chiefs and this is First Voices Radio. My name is T. Okison Ghost Horse.
1: Now and in my sixteenth year, I played with friends on the prairie if progress would allow me live forever in the valley of the tree. And surprised when we counted. Code. We took their horses into the night, back to the valley of.